Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 1. And as we now come to 2 Kings, and I just want to share this with you regarding 2 Kings. 2 Kings is just a continuation of 1 Kings. And the Septuagint, when they separated the Bible, or when they went through the Bible, they decided to cut 1 Kings and 2 Kings into two spots, into two locations, into two different books. And so that's what we have. So it's just a continuance of the kings there of Israel and of Judah. And so today what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at the life of King Azahiah. He was a king of Israel. He was actually the son of King Ahab, the eighth king of the nation of Israel. Remember, or I want to remind you that there were two nations. Israel had split up into two nations. One was the nation of Israel. The other was the nation of Judah. And so uh, that's what we have here. And we have here, we're talking about the king of Israel. And this is actually King Ahaziah. And little is written about this king. But what we have here tonight, what we're going to be reading here tonight. But even though it's little about this king, there are many lessons to learn. And we know that God has given us the examples of the Old Testament, of men and women in the Old Testament. Why? So that we can learn from them. And I want to give you the scriptures that really summarize the things that we're going to be talking about tonight. And it's from Matthew eleven twenty-eight, where it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about that. Come to me. Come to me. I w- That's very key to what we're talking about today. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We are to cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. See, the Lord wants to remind us today to come to him. And I want to ask you a question to sort of be that barometer as to whether we go to him or not. Think of this. When you are hit with a problem, think of this, right? When you are hit with a problem, when you enter into a trial... Who is the first person you think of going to? Is it your doctor? Think about that. If you're hit with an illness, the first thing you want to do is call your doctor. Is that us? Or what about our spouse? You know what? We're just, you know what? My other half. You know what? I'm going to share it with her or him. For those of you that have older kids, do you say, you know what? I got to call my kids. I got to let them know something's going on. And for those that are younger, do you say, I got to call mom and dad? i got to share with them what's going on. See, as I share these things with you, after hearing today's message, I pray that we would all be moved to go to the Lord first. No matter what storm, no matter what trial, no matter what problem, no matter what giant comes before you, it is God's desire that we would come to Him first. And the title of today's message is, Who Will You Go To? Who Will You Go To? And with that, let's just go ahead in the essence of time. We're just going to jump in and expound on the scriptures. Verse 1 of 2 Kings says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Before we go into the life of King Ahaziah, the writer reveals insight about Moab. When we look at Moab, who is Moab or who are the people of Moab? They would be considered the Moabites. Moab was actually the first son that was born to Lot, which was Abraham's nephew. And this is given to us in Genesis 19, verse 38. 
And let me remind you about the descendants of Moab. They were always at war with Israel. Always at war with Israel. And a hundred years prior to this event here, a little over a hundred years prior to this event, King David actually defeated the Moabites and they became servants of Israel as it shares in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 2. But here in 2 Kings, the first verse, we are told that Moab rebelled and won their independence. And so what this is telling us, this happened after the death of Ahab. I guess when they look at King Ahaziah, which was the son of Ahab, he must have been a lot weaker than his dad, his father Ahab. And so they rebelled and they won their independence. And so now let's move on. Since it's revealed, I needed to share these things to you. But now let's go into King Ahaziah. Verse 2 says, Now after Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured, so he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. Let me remind you, Moab rebelled against Israel, and this is a connection that we have here. When Moab rebelled against Israel or against King Ahaziah, King Ahaziah decided to stay home. He didn't, want, he didn't go to war, and so as he's home in his palace in Samaria, it says that he's in his room and he falls through the lattice. And then he was seriously injured is what it says. And as he seriously injured himself, this is where it starts. Who does a king go for help? Think about that. Who does a king go for help? What he does immediately is he goes, he sends messengers to go to Baal, to Baalzebub. And who is Baalzebub? Let me show who Beelzebub is. Beelzebub is actually a Philistine god that was worshipped in the city of Ekron. And Ekron is one of the five cities that the Philistines had. And he was actually considered the Lord of the Flies. Remember there was a movie that was made, The Lord of the Flies? Well, you know what? This is a title of this god. But what was important about this god, or what they considered important about this god, was the fact that he had healing power. Imagine that. He had healing power. That's why what? People would go to him, right? That's why people would seek him. But as we fast forward to the New Testament, Beelzebub became another name for Satan. In Matthew 5.22, it tells us that Jesus heals a man who was demon-possessed, who was blind, and who was mute. And after he heals him, the Pharisees actually accused Jesus of healing the man by the power of Beelzebub. Meaning, they're saying, Jesus, you healed this man by the power of Satan. Again, he's the one that heals, right? He has healing powers. And so this is that same God that King Ahaziah went searching for. So instead of searching for God to help him, he actually goes to a false God who supposedly had healing powers. Let me bring you, let me give you a perspective on this. King Ahaziah is actually the king of God's chosen people. He's actually the king of the people that have been chosen by God. 
And this is a man that is ruling over God's people. And yet he completely ignores the God of his people, his God, or supposedly the one that should have been his God. And we think to ourselves, why would he do this? You know, he's ruling over God's people. He knows that God is alive. He saw that, you know what, with his father Ahab. Remember King Ahab? When Elijah challenged the false prophets of Baal and fire came down from heaven to validate that the God that we honor, that we serve, that we worship is a true God. And yet he, like his father, doesn't want to acknowledge the God of Israel to be the true God. And so he ignores him. But when we think about this, right, I think many of us do the same. I know I've done this. You know, when the trial hits, when the problems hit, remember, he was seriously injured here. What happens when we have an illness? What happens when we go through problems or when the affliction or the trials come? Do we follow in the footsteps of King Ahaziah? We may, not, we may say we don't go to an idol for help, but we don't find ourselves going to God. He's not the first one we contact. He's not the first one we pray to. As I mentioned earlier, we go to the doctor, we go to our spouse, our kids, our friends, our parents, whoever it may be, but we neglect going to God. See, many times the last person we think of is God. And sometimes we only go to God is because someone reminds us, right? When you call somebody and they pray for you and you're like, oh yeah, I should have gone to God. See, these are the things that God wants to speak to us about. He wants to remind us that he should be the first one that we go to. What did God think of King Ahaziah's neglect of going to him? Let's read that in verse 3. It says, But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God? In Israel, that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Think of what's happening here. Remember the messengers, as it says there in verse 2. It says that as Elijah fell through the lattice of his upper room, immediately he sends messengers. He says, go inquire of the Baals above, right? And so as these messengers are going, the angel of the Lord appears to Elijah. Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. This was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. This is before he came in the flesh, before he was born. He actually had appearances, and he would go. And the Lord went to Elijah, and he let him know, I have an assignment for you. I want you to communicate a message to the king. And what's that message? As we see the message there, he says, is there a God in Israel? He's asking, he wants Elijah to ask King Ahaziah, is there a God in Israel? And he's telling this to the messenger so that they can go to King Ahaziah, 
I want you to tell the king, is there a king in Israel? If there is, then why are you going to the God of the Philistines? Because you went to the God of the Philistines and you didn't acknowledge that there was a God in Israel, guess what? You're not going to get off your bed and you're going to die in it. Imagine. Imagine that. I mean, how many of us think that's pretty cruel? Imagine for us to think, you know what? Since we haven't gone to God, God's going to say, guess what? You're going to die. I think we'd all be like, wait, 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 this, is, this isn't the God that we know. I think you're taking it to an extreme here. Teach me these things before you take me out. But I want to share this with you. This wasn't the reason for his death. We got to look at what was happening before this. If you turn a page prior and you go to 1 Kings, the last chapter, the last verses, look at what it says in verses 51 through 53. 1 Kings 22, 51 through 53. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned only two years over Israel. And it tells us this is the insight that we get on King Ahaziah. He says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. His mother was Jezebel. This is King Ahab and Jezebel. And he walked in their wickedness, in the evil that they did. And it goes on to say that these were the ones who made Israel sin. And it tells us for Ahaziah served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. So in other words, he did a lot more than just seek another God for help. He was a king of Israel. He was a king over God's people. And yet he was leading the people astray. Not only did he lead himself astray, but he was leading the people astray. And when we think about this, right, shouldn't someone that is king over God's people have a stricter judgment? I believe he should. When it comes to myself, a teacher of the word of God, I want you to know that I have a stricter judgment if I mislead you. Did you know that if I mislead you in the scriptures, if I am teaching you something that is incorrect, that is false, I will have a stricter judgment. This is according to James chapter 3, verse 1. I receive a stricter judgment. Remember this, to whom much is given, much is required. As it says in Luke 12, 48, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Stricter judgments. The king was no different. He was a king of the people of God, and yet he was misleading the people. Now we get a better sense as to why God would, would exercise this type of judgment on King Ahaziah. As we keep reading on in verse 5, it goes on to say, And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. 
Then he said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. So what we have here is we have here a man or the messengers, they return to the king. And so the king is asking him, hey, you guys came back quickly. What happened? You were supposed to go to Ekron, but since you guys are here, and they begin to reveal the message from Elijah. And this message was so powerful. Remember this. The word of God was so powerful that he moved these men to disobey the king, right? Because they were supposed to go to the God of Ekron. They disobeyed the king, and they did what Elijah said. I want to remind you, the word of God is powerful. They heard the word of God. These messengers heard the word of God and immediately it moved them to disobey the king and to obey Elijah. I want to remind you of something that is so key. No one can argue with the word of God. When the word of God is given, it accomplishes what it's intended to do. I was just counseling just yesterday, right? And as I was counseling them, I was sharing with them the truth of God and there was no way to argue with the word of God. This is why it says in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Let me share this. And I'm sharing this because of what happened yesterday. I was counseling a child and a parent. And the child was all messed up. And the parent was like, I can't take this child anymore. I don't want him. And this was where the people I was giving them God's word. And in the beginning, the child was very rebellious. He was speaking and and he was angry and there was hate. But as I gave him God's word, it began to change him. It began to be different. As he heard the truth, by the end of the evening, he was asking his mother to forgive him. And I asked the mom, does your child go to church? I don't take him to church. What? Now you know what's going on. See, what happens is that you have parents today that allow their kids to stay home instead of going to church. And that's the worst thing you can do to your child. Let me remind you, I've said this time and time again, the worst thing you can do for your child is to allow him to stay home and to say, you know what, I understand you got school, I understand you work, so it's okay to stay home. You say to yourselves, well, my kids are doing well in school. My kids are doing well at their jobs. But let me remind you, they are dying spiritually. And that's why they're all messed up. See, kids these days are headed to destruction, and we know how to get them off that path, but yet we say, oh, you know what? It's okay. Stay home. And yet, they live under our roof. 
yet they pay no rent. And this isn't just for kids. This is even adults that you've allowed to come into your home where you say to yourself, you know what? It's okay, stay home. If you are the head of that household and if it is your home, you will be held accountable for your actions. And our kids are messed up. Why are our kids messed up? Because they're not hearing the word of God. The word of God is what transforms you. The word of God, as was said up here, it gives us new life. See, the word of God is so powerful. It says in Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow. It goes into the inner parts of the heart and it cuts it. It tells you what you're doing wrong. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It discerns your mind. It a, it's able to penetrate. And then it equips you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Imagine that. That's how powerful the word of God is. You guys know the rule in my home? And the kids will always tell you that. If anybody lives in my house, they come to church. I even have. And she didn't come today, so you're probably thinking, hey, well, what's going on there? Well, she didn't come because my wife didn't come today. She's getting ready, and we'll pray for my wife at the end for the surgery that she's having tomorrow. But when she came to live to, in our house, she never went to a Christian church. She belonged to another religion. And when she came to live with us, we told her, if you come to live with us, then guess what? You got to come to church. And about a month after that, she's saying, you know what? I'm not feeling good. I'm not going to church. So we said, okay, that's okay. She's sick. And then the next week, oh, I'm not feeling well. And then we started catching on. And so what I went, when I figured it out, I said to her, I said, you know what? If you don't go to church with us, then guess what? You can't live here. And you know what she did? I'm going to church. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It's so important. The word of God, when it goes out, it's powerful. It accomplishes an amazing work in our hearts. If we believe that, then why don't we, why don't we require this of those that are living in our house? We see our kids and people around us dying spiritually, and yet we don't do anything about it. As we come back to King Ahaziah, the messengers, they let him know the, God's message, and so the king asked, what, can, what kind of man met and spoke to you? Guess what they do? They describe this hairy man with a waist, with a leather belt around his waist. He's a hairy man. And immediately, guess what? what? How does King Ahaziah respond? He says, I know who it is. You know, as we look at this, he says it's Elijah the Tishbite. Why? Because he remembers him, his father. You know how he, he re kept reminding his father how he would walk astray and he knew who Elijah was. See, people know men of God. Remember that. People know women of God. 
people know that people know you if you are a man and a woman that sold out for the lord guess what they know who you are that's why you receive people people's calls that's why you have people coming to you and saying hey i'm going through this can you pray for me or i'm going through that can you give me counsel i need your help why because they know that you're men and women of god and so how does king ahaziah respond verse 9 says then the king said to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men so he went up to him and there was there he was sitting on the top of a hill and he spoke to a man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, and then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Imagine that. The king wasn't happy. He was not happy with this message. So what does he do? He sends a captain. He sends a captain with 50 soldiers to do what? To arrest him. It wasn't to say, hey, Elijah, thank you for the message. Absolutely not. It was, they were there to arrest him. Why? Because the king wants to shut him up. Isn't it crazy? Think about this. King Ahaziah, after he hears that message, instead of confessing and repenting, he wants to take out Elijah. See, it wasn't Elijah who gave the message. It was God. I remember when my brother-in-law, when he kept coming, he kept coming to my house. He would leave flyers in my mailbox. He would leave flyers in my home. He was always inviting me to church. And guess who I was making fun of? I would laugh at him. I would ridicule him. I'd say, look at this guy. Who did he? crazy guy. I don't want to go to church. You know, I, I was just poking fun of him all the time. I would, you know what, I would say bad things about him. But I know today, it was God who was calling me out. See, God uses messengers of God to call us. He also uses the Holy Spirit to convict us. But he's always sending people to us, isn't he? just like Elijah. And so the men find Elijah sitting on the top of the hill and they call him by the title man of God. You know, what does this title symbolize? I want you to know this was a title or this was another name for prophet, man of God. A prophet of God was called the man of God. So they let him know we're here to arrest you and Elijah responds, if I'm truly a man of God, a prophet, Fire is going to come down from heaven. It's going to torture and it's going to burn you up. And so as Elijah said this, God validated that he was a prophet, that he was a man of God. And imagine fire comes down from heaven and it consumes these 51, the captain and the 50 soldiers. And so verse 11, as it goes on to say, then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, Thus has the king said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Imagine this. The king, King Ahaziah, gets wind of the death of the first captain with the 50 men. 
So King Ahaziah says, you know what? I'm sending another 51 men, a captain and 50 men. I want them to arrest Elijah. Who does he think he is? So they arrive there too, and they see Elijah at the top of the hill, and they call him out as a man of God. Elijah responds the same way. If I am a man of God, then fire is going to come down from heaven. It's going to consume you. It's going to torch you. And it happens. And then verse 13 says, Again, he sent a third captain of 50 and his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in your sight. So the king, he gets wind of the death of the second captain with the 50 soldiers. So now King Ahaziah sends another captain. This is the third captain with 50 soldiers. But this time, this captain was smart. He realized that, you know what? Elijah is truly a man of God. And you don't want to mess with a man of God. And so what does he do? What does this man do? He humbles himself and he pleads with Elijah and he asks Elijah to spare his life and the life of his 50 soldiers. In other words, this man asked for mercy. <clears throat> this man humbled himself. And so what happens? Verse 15 says, And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. <clears throat> what's so amazing? I don't know if you caught this there. But what's so amazing about this is that when that captain asked for mercy, when he humbled himself, Guess who spoke to Elijah? The Lord spoke to Elijah. And he tells Elijah to go down with him, with these men. What I want to share with you through this is that God loves humility. God loves humility. God loves humility. If you humble yourself before God, God cannot help but extend mercy and grace. This is what these, this captain of these 50 did. He humbled himself. And so what does he do? God says, you know what? With the humility from this man, you know what? I'm going to extend grace and mercy. I'm going to allow him to live. Remember, humility, God can't resist that. Remember I quoted you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Look at what the verse prior to that says in verse 6, 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. A humility. See, many times as a people, we're always, we've grown up, right? Even from our parents, you know what? You deserve all this. You're the best. You know what? Don't let no one mess with you. You know what? All this pride that we're fed, right? It begins to do what? It, it, it just swallows us up and we become so proud that, you know what? We say, oh, I don't need help from anybody. I could do this on my own. And you say, I don't even need help from God. See, when, before I came to know the Lord, I, was, I could do this on my own. 
Yet my life is a mess. I've made it a mess. And I can't get out of the mess. And I still think that I can make it without God. It doesn't happen. See, when we finally surrender ourselves, why do we surrender ourselves? Because we're poor in spirit. We're finally broken. We're finally like, Lord, I'm so messed up. I need your help. I'm surrendering my life to you because I want you to make beauty out of ashes. I want you to turn my life right side up. I want you to restore all these things I messed up. Make them right again. See, when we come to God, his very character is grace and mercy. That's his character. Did you know that the character of God, he is a gracious God? When you come to him with humility, he cannot help but extend who he is to us. Like many of us, we have different character attributes. We have all these different things that make us up the way we are as people. Well, guess, God, guess who God is? God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. And when you humble yourself before him, guess what? He never disappoints. And what I love there is what I shared with you guys last week, and we're having to come quickly to an end here. He told Elijah, do not fear. Remember what I shared last week for those of you that were here? Many of you weren't here, and I f- believe it's so important to share this with you. God tells us in the Bible 365 times, do not be afraid. Not to be afraid. Did you know that? That there are six, 365 verses in the Bible that tells us not to fear. Don't be afraid. Why would he tell us 365 times? How many, times are there in a, how many days are there in a year? 365 days. So we can be reminded on a daily basis, do not be afraid. Do not fear. So verse 16 goes on to say, Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken, because he had no son. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? When Elijah meets the king, Elijah met the king. Remember, the captain and the 50 men took him to the king, and when he met the king, he repeated the same message. Just as the Lord said, what happens to King Ahaziah? He dies. I want to remind you one thing about the Lord. What the Lord says, he does. Never forget that. Hebrews 6 verse 18 tells us it is impossible for God to lie. So if God cannot lie, we, we can believe all the promises in God's word. See, this is what comforts me, and it should comfort all of us. If God cannot lie, whatever he has told us in the word of God, he will do it. He will do it. That's what's so amazing is that we can trust the word of God. We serve a God who speaks truth. We serve a God that keeps his promises. All of the promises of God are true. Remember that. 
We have a God that doesn't lie. And he told King Ahaziah from the very beginning that because of what he did, he would die, and that's what happens. He never got out of his bed, and he died. And it closes by letting us know that because King Ahaziah had no son, his brother Jehoram becomes king. And it tells us that his acts are written in another book. That book is completely lost. But what a tragic end to a man's life. But what can we learn from this? I'm going to give you three points in closing. Three points in closing. What can we learn from all of this? The first point is this. Our God is great. Remember that. Our God is great. See, if you begin to have an understanding of the God that we serve, it will help you whenever trials and tragedy hits. Whenever they come your way, if you understand who the God is that you serve, you're going to have comfort. You're going to have peace. Why? Because we serve such a great and a mighty God. See, there is no one greater than our Lord. There is no other God. He says there is no other God out there. I am the only God. I'm the first and the last. Look at what he told John the Apostle in Revelation 1, 17 through 18. He says, and when I saw him, speaking of Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. There we go again, right? Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. In other words, there are no other gods aside from me. I am the one that lives. I always lived. I am the one that was dead when I died on the cross. And behold, I am the one that lives forevermore. This is the God that we serve. Who else has conquered death? Who else has, is able to do this but the God that we serve? He says, I have the keys of Hades and death. I am the one that's in control of everything. I hold your destiny in my hands. Think about this. There's a title that God has. And for those of you that don't know, his, I'm going to share what it is. He has a title called Al Roy. Al is God. And Roy means he sees. Al Roy, Al Roy R-O-I means that he is a God who sees. Imagine that. If we serve a God who sees all things, then he knows our problems. And if he, if he truly is a God, then he is a God that can solve the problems. And as we begin to understand who this God is that we serve, it leads us to point number two. Our faith determines our action. Our faith determines our action. And what do I mean by this? If we truly be, believe who he is, then we will change our behavior when the trial hits. We're going to find ourselves going to him first. And I know that it's a very difficult thing to go to an invisible God, isn't it? How many of us are challenged to go to an invisible God? I think we all are, right? We have these challenges. But understand one thing is that he is alive. We just heard that. 
And though he is invisible, remember our relationship with Christ is all built on faith. And without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. Look at what he told Thomas. Remember when Thomas the Apostle? Remember Thomas the Apostle when he says, the only way I'll believe God is if I see him, if I put my hands on his hands and on his feet and I put my hands where, you know what, where he had the nails, then I'll believe. Well, God was gracious and he allowed him to see him. But look at what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20 verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed, that's us. The blessings of God fall upon us. We are blessed as we believe by faith the great God that we have. And the final point that I want to give you, which we can get from the message that we have today, that we had tonight, he desires we seek him. Last point is that he desires that we seek him. Remember, I gave you the scriptures. Come to me, all you who are laden, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. He says, cast your burdens upon me, for I care for you. But I believe this last one that I give you is really going to get hit home with what we have been talking about. It's from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 where it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Imagine that. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Greek word for boldly is confidence. Remember that. The Greek word for boldness here is confidence. So God is saying, come to his throne with confidence that we may obtain mercy and find grace in your trying times. He wants us to go to him. And when we go to him with confidence, he is eager to pour out his mercy and his grace in our time of need. This is a promise. Remember, God does not lie. God keeps his promises. God wants us to go to the one that can truly help us. Amen? Let's close.